<laughs> well, let me ask you once again, please take your Bibles. And would you turn with me to this book that I trust is becoming treasured to you? This book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. It's hard for me to believe, but we are very quickly approaching the end of this book. Sixteen chapters. Here we are in chapter 14 this morning. Just a few more weeks in this series. And this past week, um, I once again had to acknowledge that I, like, totally miscalculated when I originally mapped out this preaching plan. I was, I was planning on preaching all of chapter 14 and the first half of chapter 15 in one sermon uh, because there is there an extended argument. It's, it's all treating one topic. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll just treat it in one sermon. But this past week, actually it was late last Sunday, I realized that what is being talked about here is really important for our church, our life as a church, as we live out the gospel together. I mean, this section deals with something really important and often challenging to know how to handle. So last Sunday afternoon, I came to my senses, and instead of one message, we're going to slow down and divide this into three parts, just to make sure we're getting it. I think you'll understand as I read this. So for this morning, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, you follow along as I read. This is God's Word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. 
and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Well, I think we should pray. Let's pray together. Father, once again, here we are, ready to receive your word. We need your help. So God, I pray you would provide the strength that we need, each one of us, to not just hear, but to um, accept, to receive as true and right and good and perfect your word. Father, I love what we've just sung. Unsheath your sword. We recognize this is not my sword, this is not our sword, and yet you've put it in our hands, and so Lord, help us to handle it well, rightly, so that it might accomplish all your will. And so Lord, we we yield, we happily receive your word, form us, shape us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, even though the specific issues might be very different for us than the ones that were challenging the church there in Rome, nonetheless, I hope as I read that passage that you were aware of a reality underneath those issues that is true for us and in fact is true for every local gathering of believers, every local church. Here's the question. What happens in a church when there are these differences among us? What do we do? What is to be done when Christians, I want to emphasize that, Paul's speaking to Christians here, what is to be done when Christians with different convictions about certain things find themselves in the same church fellowship? I mean, time and time again, the New Testament just assumes that people with differing opinions on various things are going to be together in the same local community of faith. And I don't think we're somehow an exception to that here at Crossway. So what do we do? How do we do this? You know, we don't have a, a perfectly clear picture of these specific issues that were presenting a challenge there in the church in Rome. Paul names three issues here. He he mentions this issue of eating meat. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the other person eats only vegetables. He mentions this issue of observing certain days. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Later in this chapter, he mentions the issue of drinking wine. Look at verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now again, it's hard to know the exact kind of social, cultural factors that attached to these issues. It's very likely, in fact, most likely, that this has to do with cultural differences between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians there in that church in Rome. Likely some Jewish Christians were wanting to refrain from certain things and observe certain days, Jewish festival days, traditional Sabbath day, 
out of some loyalty to the Mosaic law. This might also have had something to do with the fact that there was, as a matter of custom in Rome, meat that was sacrificed in, in the worship of pagan gods, sometimes wine offered up in libation to pagan gods, and then those things sold in the public market. And that could make both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians consider eating any of those things that were involved in pagan worship just out of bounds for Christians. The issue probably was not a difference over nutrition. It was not a difference over cruelty to animals. PETA had not yet been organized. But whatever the reason was, you had this situation where some felt free and some did not. And both sides felt strongly. There was not agreement on these things there in the church in Rome. And by the way, this was not the only church where this was an issue. Paul had to deal with this very same kind of thing in his letter to the churches of Galatia. He had to deal with this very same kind of thing in his letter to the church in Colossae. It was a common problem. It is a common problem. So what is to be done when Christians with differing convictions find themselves together in the same church fellowship? Well, apparently what was happening there in the church in Rome was not good. What was happening there, how they were dealing with this situation, was leading to some, some bad feelings between people. There was a breakdown in relationship. People were starting to say things and do things that were destructive to real, actual relationships there within that church. Look at verse 3. Paul says, don't do this. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Now, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Look down at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? Listen, sadly, there is, there is no sin to which Christians, especially zealous Christians, are more prone than that of criticizing, passing judgment on other Christians around them. I mean, here are those in this church who called themselves strong, despising those who felt it was wrong to eat, despising them for their unnecessary scruples, looking at them with some condescending judgment, thinking they're hung up on something. And here are those who were considered weak, judging those who felt free to eat, judging them for their, their spiritual carelessness. Both groups are at fault. Both groups are sinning, not in the choices that they're making, but in their attitudes towards each other. So what should it look like? What is to be done when Christians with different convictions are together in the same fellowship? How, how does a church act? How does a gospelized church act? How does a Therefore, by the mercies of God, church, act. A church who has heard and gets chapters 1 through 11. 
How can a church hold together when we think and feel differently, sometimes strongly, on certain things? Well, Paul tells us what God wants. Just as clear as can be. Look at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise. Don't do this. Don't despise the one who abstains. Don't pass judgment on the one who eats. And look down at chapter 15, verse 7, where it is just wonderfully summarized. Chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In fact, look at the verses immediately prior to that in chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's powerful. I mean, that is God's vision for the local church. So here's what we do. Welcome one another. What does that mean? That does not mean to just stand out by those doors on Sunday morning and shake people's hands and greet them as they come in, although that is really important. Thank you to every one of you who do that so faithfully Sunday by Sunday, welcoming us in that way into this gathering. Now, it means welcome one another warmly, wholeheartedly into fellowship, into your heart. Welcome them as a brother, as a sister. That word is so strong, it is used to speak of how God welcomes us. It implies warmth, regard, a genuine acceptance, desire to be with them. It is speaking of full, intimate fellowship. See, Paul's concern here is not so much with sorting out these issues as it is with the health of the precious body of Christ. We know that Paul is not unconcerned with truth. We know that Paul cares very much about truth. But there are things about which we have freedom, which we'll see in just a moment, and differences on those things ought not to divide the precious body of Christ. So, welcome one another. And not for the purpose of debate and setting them straight. Did you see how clear Paul was about that? Verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Welcome them as fellow believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome other believers as believers. Or to put it negatively, verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Don't do that. Stop that. We are to welcome other Christians as full and respected members of this community of faith such that there is this profound unity in the church. Look again at chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice 
Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that there is this glorious gospel harmony. Our worship, our lives, our living together as a body, glorifying God. So that's the answer to the what question. What are we supposed to do? Let's welcome one another. Now the how question. How do we do this? How does that come about? Well, in these verses, Paul lays out four grounds, four reasons, four things that are true that we stand on as believers. And when we purpose to stand on them, they will produce this welcoming heart and this gospel unity in the church. What these are, are they're four foundational unifying truths that are far greater, they're far deeper, they're far more all-encompassing than the things that we might have differing opinions about. So let's look at them. There are four of those here first. We should welcome brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we have differences warmly and fully because God has welcomed them warmly and fully. We should welcome brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we have differences warmly and fully because God has welcomed them warmly and fully. Look at verse 3 once again. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed them. This is the great and I think really completely sufficient reason for us to warmly and fully welcome one another. Paul will have other things to say. We'll get to those in a moment. But this is the great foundation for our welcoming one another. God has welcomed him. God has welcomed her. If God has welcomed them, what does it say if we don't? That we know better than God? Or that we think God is a little too lax in his discernment about people? Or that maybe we have some greater right I mean, just let your imagination go for a moment and imagine God coming to church this morning. Imagine him walking in here and watch him as he goes to every single person in this room who's in Christ and welcomes them warmly, fully embracing them, communicating to them his full and unreserved acceptance letting them know how safe they are. You are in my heart. And after watching him, what does it say then if we don't? If we hold that person in disdain or we pass judgment, what would that say? Listen, the best way to determine what our posture and what our attitude should be to other people in the body is to see what God's posture and attitude toward them is. I love the way John Stott puts this. Here's what he says. This principle is better even than the golden rule. It is safe to treat others as we would like them to treat us, but it is safer still to treat them as God does. It is safe to treat others as we would have them treat us, but it is safer still to treat them as God does. I mean, this is the ultimate reason why we should welcome one another. Here is Paul's bottom line. He gets to it right off the bat in this passage. God has welcomed them, 
And he makes it even more personal. In fact, he puts a little more teeth into it in chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. It's not just that Christ has welcomed them. You have been the recipient of his great welcome. That's the first grounds. It's the first reason. So if you are aware this morning that you are looking with disdain at someone in this fellowship, if you are aware that you are passing judgment on someone in this fellowship, can I encourage you to just meditate for at least a moment on this truth? God has fully welcomed that person. Even with their opinion on that issue that differs from yours. So you welcome him. You welcome her too. Second, the second ground or reason why we should welcome one another is that we all share freedom in Christ. We all share freedom in Christ. There is real freedom on issues like this. Yes, I think we all know there are things that are clearly laid out by God in His Word that we must agree on. There is no room to differ on fundamental theological truths where God has spoken clearly. There is no room to differ on clear moral teaching. But there are matters of choice where we are not bound by Scripture because Scripture hasn't spoken to it, where there is freedom. Look again at verses 5 and 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see, there are issues where people on different sides can both be honoring to the Lord. doesn't mean we can't talk about those issues. It doesn't mean we might not need to grow in our faith in some way relative to those issues, but there's no room for disdain or passing judgment. Both are doing them with a heart to honor God, and they're giving thanks to God. Both are centered on God. They're grateful to God. They're wanting to glorify God. Neither of them is sinning. Both of them are behaving, they're they're believing this is the right way for me to act, the best way for me to act and honor God in this situation. Here in verse 6, in Romans chapter 14, verse 6, there is this this very strong statement. Paul is making that true Christians on both sides of these kinds of issues are glorifying God in what they do. You know how that's possible? Because there actually is freedom. Freedom on these points. Now, obviously, you you can't do everything to the glory of God. There's not freedom in everything. Do you remember back in chapter 13, verse 9, these these commandments, these things we're commanded not to do? you, You know, you cannot commit adultery to the glory of God. You can't murder to the glory of God. You can't Steal to the glory of God or covet to the glory of God. You cannot be proud to the glory of God. You cannot be dishonest to the glory of God. Those are things about which there is no freedom. But there are things in regard to which there is real freedom. You can eat meat 
to the glory of God, and you can choose to abstain from eating meat to the glory of God. There is freedom. So there's no room for despising or passing judgment. You can drink wine to the glory of God, and you can choose to abstain from drinking wine to the glory of God. There is freedom. So there's no room for despising or passing judgment. You can homeschool your children to the glory of God, or you can enroll your children in public schools to the glory of God. There is freedom. And so there is no room for despising or for passing judgment. And because there is freedom, we should fully and warmly welcome one another. I was going to say you could be a Packer fan (laughs) or you could be a Bears fan, but there are limits. (laughs) Actually, it's true, right? So welcome one another. Third, the third ground or reason why we should welcome one another is that we all, all of us who are in Christ, We live unto God. So third reason why we should welcome one another is because all of us who are in Christ, we live unto God. Paul started moving in this direction in verse 6, but look at how he says it in verses 7 through 9. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that, we, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. And look back up at verse 4, where Paul pointed in this very same direction as well. Verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. If a Christian, convinced in his own conscience refrains from something that others in good conscience enjoy, or if a Christian, convinced in his own conscience, enjoys something that others in good conscience refrain from, those convictions are to be respected. The decisive thing in any case is whether the person is doing whatever they're doing unto the Lord. That's what matters. In fact, it's clear from the way Paul speaks that This applies to all of life. Did you notice this? Verse 7, none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Paul's speaking in that particular way. He's using this life and death language to make sure to cover everything. Every part of a believer's life, our thoughts, our actions, our, our ambitions, our decisions, everything is to be carried out unto the Lord. That is, with an aim to please God in everything that we do. I tell people this all the time, just in the, the, the privilege and the sweetness of the role that I have, I have many opportunities to be alongside people who are going through difficult things and challenging things or have questions. And I often, very often, at some point will say to them, listen, there's a path for you to walk on in this. There's a way for you to do this that is pleasing to God such that at the end of the day, you can lay your head down on your pillow and hear God's voice saying to you, well done today. Well done today. John, Mary, you did that well. You did that unto me. You did that in a way that was pleasing to me. That's the only thing that matters. 
We live our life unto God. We live our lives, each one of us, every one of us, who belong to him through Christ. In fact, I I just love the way Paul says this in verse 9. To this end, Christ died and rose again. To what end? That he might be Lord over everything. How should we welcome one another? Why? Why? Why should we do this? Because every one of us who are believers stands on the same footing. We all live our lives before God. So, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. All right, finally, fourth, and perhaps the most sobering of these four grounds, the fourth ground or reason Paul states for why we should welcome one another warmly and fully is that we all, each one of us, will give an account of our own lives to God. We're all going to give an account of our lives to God. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now let's be really clear. There's a very important kind of theological, biblical distinction we've got to make right here. This is not talking about your eternal destiny. Paul is talking to Christians here. And Christian, your eternal destiny has been secured. It's not in question. Don't forget Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Please don't miss the wonderful assurance at the end of verse 4. Did you notice this? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. So Paul is not speaking here about some judgment about our eternal destiny. He is speaking here in verses 10 through 12 about accounting for how we have stewarded the resources that God has given to us, our time, our wealth, our, our strength. We'll give an account to God. Do you see what Paul is saying to us here? Do not, brothers and sisters, do not arrogate to yourselves something that belongs to God alone. He is the one who judges. Twice he says it, verse 4, who are you to pass judgment? Verse 10, why do you pass judgment? In fact, it's, if, if we're listening, it's not hard to hear something else Paul is saying. We'll all stand before God someday. So don't just judge others. You better take heed to yourselves. Better make sure you're watching how you live. Why should we welcome one another and not despise and not pass judgment? Because God is judge, not us. So I trust this morning as we've heard God's word, God's word through this man, the Apostle Paul, now preserved in this book that we hold in our hands such that we this morning hear God's word I trust that you can see Paul's way of arguing in this passage Paul's way 
of helping us not get tangled up with small things is to get the really big things before us. How does God's Word help us from kind of letting convictions about small matters become divisive and relationship damaging? He reminds us of the big things, the really big things. God has welcomed us in Christ. And there really is freedom in Christ. And every one of us lives unto God in everything that we do. And someday, God is the one who will judge and who will make us stand on that day. So, let us all be very careful. Let us test our hearts and our thoughts. That's the true test, right? What's in our hearts and what's in our thoughts. That's where the despising and the passing judgment can happen. You know, we can, we can exercise self-control to make sure we don't say anything. Let's be careful how we think. Are there issues where we are in danger of judging one another over things about which God would say there is freedom? Are there matters of culture or custom or preference Things over which we might tend to let walls get built up between us. God wants no walls inside his body. Let us not pass judgment on each other in these matters. Let us warmly and fully welcome one another, brothers and sisters. Based on our common life in God, before God, unto God, so people of Crossway, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you again for speaking your word to us so clearly. Thanks for caring for us this way. Um, You know us. You know our frame. You remember that we're dust and that we're very susceptible. And so, Father, we thank you for the life we have in Christ, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to walk in keeping and in step with Christ. So, Father, we pray this morning. We praying on behalf of this church, we ask you, would you help us to not trip up over small things that don't matter and help us not to trip one another? Thank you for this passage and next week's passage. I pray that you would help us to love deeply the things that matter and to love one another and Lord, I pray that in your kindness, as, as that gets worked out in this church, that you would use this church and other churches who love Christ and want to follow you. I pray that the fragrance of them in their communities, us in this community, would be such that people are drawn to Jesus. Lord, we pray... 
Help us and help us to help one another. In Jesus' name, amen.